This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. Alright, so episode two. This one's still a bit rocky. We end up kind of meandering around all over the place with uh, probably too many concepts. I should note that there is a content warning here, and it's to do with suicide. We discussed it briefly in this conversation and just thought that you might want to be aware. Thanks for returning. Enjoy the show. Today, we're going to be talking about language tricks. Originally, I was going to focus entirely on Poe's law, but I got sidetracked and got interested in many areas that are sort of related, but are very topical for today, this particular time in history, if not any time in history, really. And so I'll start with Poe's law and give a formal definition because last time we meandered about quite a bit and didn't get to the point, so it didn't really pull people in. So what's the concept for today? Is it Poe's law or is it language tricks? It's language tricks, I guess, maybe um, obfuscation or saying things without saying things or saying things that you can have plausible deniability for. You'll see, I have a list at the beginning here after I define Poe's Law. To define Poe's Law, Poe's Law is an adage of internet culture stating that without a clear indicator of the author's intent, it is impossible to create a parody of extreme views so obviously exaggerated that it cannot be mistaken by some readers for a sincere expression of the views being parodied. So basically, if you say something too extreme, then it will be unclear whether that's legitimately held beliefs or extreme parody of something because it's been very difficult to tease that apart. Okay. Uh, I don't quite understand. So if you say something very seriously... What do you mean by that? The problem here is whether you are saying something sincerely or saying something to parody. And a true parody that's taken so extremely will be indistinguishable from somebody who actually believes that. Mm. Where this actually came from originally was from a a forum on creationism and making fun of creationists. The guy, his name was Nathan Poe, was a random internet forum user in 2005, was taking a pro-creationism stance, so saying that God created everything and evolution's a lie, I guess would be the more extreme view, and he put a winking emoticon on it. Mm-hmm. So someone commented, good thing you put the winky, otherwise people might think you're serious. Without the winky or smiley face, basically, it's impossible, especially in written form, to tell whether an extreme view is legitimately held or if it's them making fun of that view. Okay. And the law is that is that what? Poe's law is basically saying that if you find something that's an extreme view, but there's no indication of sarcasm, you can't tell if the person's speaking from their honest opinion or if they're mocking it. Got it. So this is particularly relevant to textual communication and not verbal? Yeah, almost exclusively. Okay. It originated way back in the 1980s with a thing called Usenet. Yes, the old Usenet forums. Oh, you, you're familiar? <laughs> yeah. In 1983, uh, Jerry Schwartz, in a post on Usenet, which is a bullet for those who are not familiar, because I had to look it up, <laughs> a bulletin board system, which is an early precursor to forums and the internet. Uh, he wrote that we should avoid sarcasm and facetious remarks. And without the voice inflection and body language of personal communication, these are easily misinterpreted. That's the end of his quote. His shorthand was basically saying that if you use a smiley face, it's widely accepted as meaning I'm only kidding. Although that has come to be <laughs> evolved from there. Because right. like, I don't think if I see somebody type something with a smiley face, do you assume that they're joking? No, no, no. It's the, it's the winky one now. Uh, yeah. Or maybe like a tongue face, I guess. Yeah. Wink in the, or the winky tongue face. <laughs> or any, any version of those <laughs> things. Yeah. 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 Anyway. That's, that's Poe's law, and that's where we're going to start. But other ideas that I'm going to bring up in this are doublespeak, horseshoe theory, nihilism, the Jungian concept of the shadow, pearl clutching, and no true Scotsman. <laughs> Love it. Pearl clutching. So we're, we're going a bit all over the place, and I think troll farms is another thing I was going to mention. All right. So originally you were thinking we are just talking about Poe's law. But it looks like you found a bunch of other language games that uh, are going to be interesting to talk about. So that therefore the concept is language games and we're looking at various subtypes of that, correct? Yeah. Going back to Poe's Law, it originally was to criticize Christianity and creationism. However, it has come to be extended to any sort of fundamentalism or extremism. Or as I remember you having a hobby horse, radicals, if you remember the core of radical. Yeah, just an extreme looking at root cause, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the, the root of something. Yeah. Which is apparently the same root word as radish. Very interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Radish. Because it's, it's a root vegetable, right? I believe so. That makes sense. 
What I was going to say was this, this podcast's intention is not to be the definitive stance on things. Essentially what I criticized Malcolm Gladwell for doing. I actually looked up that the retraction, not retraction, but addendum to what I said for that was a quote from Gladwell on his books. He says, quote, the mistake is to think these books are ends in themselves. My books are gateway drugs. They lead you to the hard stuff, end quote. While this is a podcast, I don't think people are going to take it as fact. We are going to do our best to give good information and to try to give a kind of a, a jumping off point to look into further things. In the show notes, I'm going to link to the things that I talk about as well. If I can think of anything to expand on that, I'll have further reading. I know most people will not be going into that, so we'll be doing our best to elaborate on the things as much as possible. That being said, Steve did confidently assert something last time that was not true as it turns out, and I'll throw it to you. Yeah, a generalist is not necessarily a general, even though they have the same word in it. A uh, generalist is is a person with a, a wide array of knowledge on a variety of subjects, useful or not. And uh, a military general, it, you know, you could see how those two fit together if you've worked your way through the ranks and therefore can have knowledge about uh, the, the institution more broadly and therefore be a better leader. But a generalist could also be uh, used in various other contexts, like a general practitioner, for example, a, a, like a medical doctor who treats a wide variety uh, versus a specialist. So that uh, the word generalist, um, it doesn't have any firm definition and it doesn't necessarily mean a military general. Okay. So it's not a formal position. Also, we didn't introduce this. You said that the general is called a general because they have general knowledge, which that's the thing we're correcting here, which we should have said at the beginning. As you can tell, this is a organic process. We're kind of doing the um, minimum viable product idea where we're doing our best in the moment and evolving as we go. So this will have changes and improvements with each episode, but we're kind of leaving it out there warts and all so that people can see that things don't start fully formed. You should just start and get ahead because embarrassment is the cost of entry to anything. And so we're just going to go ahead and leave some of these flaws in there. We'll do our best in editing to make it yeah. palatable. Let's, let's do it bad. Super embarrassed. Do it, yeah. do it the best we can. Not intentionally bad. I know. But so just to clarify your, your point there, you're saying that generalists are not a formal position. They're more just what, like a, an adjective added onto a position? Generalist is a, a generalist is a, is a, it's a broader term, not a specific official role within the military. Okay. So maybe somebody who's hopped around in various roles would be referred to as a generalist, but it's not a yeah. formal title. Yeah. Okay. What do you think about Poe's law in the context of our society today, given how things have evolved? That that concept, again, it came from 2005, which 15 years on, I think it's kind of taken a life out of its own. That that concept has exploded a fair bit. And what's to clarify even further, what's the law state in like one phrase? Is there any like thou shalt associated with it. It's, it's about observers, essentially. Like observers can't tell whether it's true or not unless the writer is going to give some indication of their intent. Okay. So that's that's the whole thing. Got it. Now, yes. Of course. I mean, it's it's almost common sense in a way these days. And I could see how in the, in the Usenet now, yeah, it's like, well, of course, we have all these emojis. But back in the day when they didn't have the, the emoji option, I could see how this would be a real issue and uh, lead to a lot of communication breakdown and misunderstanding of, oh, you argue this here and then you can quote the person, but then the other person can say, well, technically, I, I didn't think that because I was sarcastic. You're wrong. And then you could completely change change your position on something. Yeah, exactly. Can you see how that might be abused? Well, I guess in, in, the, in the context of uh, language tricks, if you use enough of them, you could technically fall on both sides of an argument uh, no matter what. And I guess legally speaking, it raises a whole bunch of questions of where does this person actually stand? Yeah. And obviously people like Donald Trump benefit greatly from this. Yeah. Uh, Wired Magazine sure. actually in 2017, so just shortly after the election, 2017, they wrote in a piece calling, uh, the piece is called Can't Take a Joke. That's just Poe's Law, 2017's most important internet phenomenon. In that piece, they write about how Poe's Law is the most important phenomenon, citing Trump and 4chan and other forms of deliberate satire and irony. Um, they said that it's basically a refuge to camouflage beliefs that would otherwise be considered unacceptable. And the subheading, I think, puts it very succinctly. Those trolls aren't really spewing hate speech. That's just you being thin-skinned and missing the irony. 
It's what I like to call the asshole defense. <laughs> I'm just joking, man. Can't you take a joke? It's just a joke. I'm not, I didn't, wasn't serious about it. I didn't really want to sleep with your wife. I was just joking about that. Oh, yes. Love it. Yeah, that's that's like what people say all the time. It's like if, if they're in a cheery mood and you're not and they want to get you to where they are. And then they start accusing you of, well, lighten up, lighten up a little bit. Yeah. But the thing is like that, does that ever really work? Like, I don't think I've ever been cheered up by somebody being like, cheer up. It's just a joke after they pissed me off. No, no. You may have thought you were joking, but it definitely didn't come off as playful or fun for anybody except for you. So I guess that's the definition of trolling. Mm, Is it? I don't think so. You're doing it for your own amusement uh, and you're and you're getting joy out of the other person's misery. Mm, that seems more like sadism to me, but I guess there's a, <laughs> a thin line between them. I think trolls often are sadists. I, I, would, I would think. I would also think. So I'm just going to read the intro paragraph to this because it's a good context for where we ended up. This is only three years ago. And again, I guess at that point, it was 12 years after the concept was brought about and 20-ish years after the internet came mainstream. This is from the Wired magazine. Quote, just over a month ago, Fusion reporter Emma Roller did exactly what the far-right internet wanted her to do. She believed 4chan. For months, the online message board had been engaging in an informal propaganda operation, discussing innocuous gestures and symbols as though they were secret signals among white supremacist groups. The OK symbol emerged as a favorite of those gestures, and the ultra-far-right media got in on the joke. So when Roller saw an image of self-described national security reporter Mike Cernovich and his colleague Cassandra Fairbanks doing it, she retweeted along with the message, quote, her quote, just two people doing a white power hand gesture in the White House, end quote for all of that. Okay, so this is 4chan's bread and butter is doing Poe's Law. I think 4chan is kind of Poe's Law incarnate. This leads us to some things like The Onion, right? The Onion's entire purpose is explicitly stated to be a satirical paper. But because it's so well done, that's actually another incarnation of Poe's Law run rampant, except for in this case, they explicitly state that they are. So they're conforming to clarifying. Whereas things like, I don't know if you know, Milo, I don't know how to say it, Yiannopoulos? Yiannopoulos. Yeah. He is an example of, I guess, a live version of 4chan where he will say inflammatory things. And then when he's pressed for it, I don't really believe that. Another prominent person was PewDiePie, if you ever heard of him. I never watched him and the name just, I was really put off by that name. Anyway, he got a YouTuber. Yeah, he was a very big YouTuber and I think got maybe taken off. Anyway, he had a huge scandal because he kept making jokes about like anti-Semitic jokes, apparently. And the one particular part that got him in trouble was hiring somebody holding a sign that said death to all Jews. He was just joking. Don't you know? Like that's a, that's, that's entirely the point. Oh my God. You just don't have a sense of humor because you think that that like genocide is a funny thing. Yeah. This puts a lot of what's recently happened into context. I know Milo Ilianopoulos and the alt-right were, were huge into this type of thing. They would do one thing and then you would be offended and then they would say, oh, I didn't mean it that way. You're just overly sensitive. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's exactly the thing. Well, it's like a, a provocateur, you know. They, they, it'll provoke you through this this speech that looks very literal and, and you can't tell the difference of whether it's literal or joking and then provoke a reaction and then use that, that reaction as confirmation that the other side is crazy or overly sensitive because look, we were just joking here, you know, and really was that joke distinguishable from a sincere statement, as you said in the beginning. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to know oftentimes, and you have to actually engage, but then there are certain situations where you can't engage with somebody with Poe's law. It's usually informal on like Reddit or some other online forum where people are just discussing and you can actually say, what do you mean by that? Or can you clarify your position if you have the patience? But then there's other positions, which I'm going to talk about next. Something that I, I, we, I've caught Trump doing a number of times. I mean, it's pretty much his bread and butter. It's called doublespeak, which is my, in my opinion, the spoken, spoken malignant relative of Poe's law because Poe's law, it's just it's satire that it could be satire, it could be legitimate. Whereas doublespeak, it's usually saying something without saying something or lying without lying. It's usually used when somebody is wanting to portray a certain message, I guess, like the whole concept of dog whistling, or if 
they are compelled to speak on a particular topic, but they don't want to say exactly what the truth is. So they'll, they'll hide behind that. I'm going to quote from a book called Doublespeak by an author, William Lutz. He says Doublespeak is, quote, language designed to evade responsibility, make the unpleasant appear pleasant, the unattractive appear attractive. Basically, it's language designed to mislead while pretending not to. Mm -hmm. So the example in the video I got this from, which is a great YouTube channel called What I Learned, not a great name, but a great content. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah. He quotes Tony Soprano in The Sopranos where he's asked, what do you do for a living? And he says, waste management consultant, which is like a very good way of presenting. He's a mobster. So there are four kinds of doublespeak, some of which actually come from academia. So the first one is euphemism, disguising fear by concealing the truth through soft language. George Carlin in that same video goes on to say that toilet paper is now called bathroom tissue. It's using a euphemism for something to make it seem more palatable and nice, <laughs> even though it could be terrible. We mm. talked kind of about that before, right? Yeah, I, I like that one. So it's 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 not associated with the toilet where the dirty things happen. It's uh, associated with the broader bathroom as a whole where things get cleaned up. Yeah, and tissues. Yeah. It's kind of like when I was, I was in Australia, like here we would say like, where's the bathroom or where's the restroom? I yeah. guess some people might say. Right. But in, in Australia, they just say, where's the toilet? <laughs> no, it sounds so r rough and much cruder crude and unvarnished communication. Can you point me to the toilet? Yeah. It's one step away from where's your shitter, <laughs> <laughs> oh. which I mean, we're all just saying the same thing and it's understood. It's just, eh. Nice. So the second kind of double speak is jargon, which would be more your forte. Academia. I'm very good. Jargon is sometimes useful in the context where everyone understands it, but it can be used to conceal the truth in inappropriate circumstances. You think about resume spiels. Mm -hmm. I use an implement to gather debris and collect it into a receptacle. It's like you were sweeping the floor. So using flowery language to make it seem more important. Oh, that's huge on resumes. I love the academia example of how academics can dress up what they're saying in language to bamboozle the average person into thinking they're smart when really they've just learned new words for something very simple. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like cognition for thinking, the, the same word. Yeah. It does have a, a function, but like part of the function, as some theorize, is that jargon's purpose is to keep lay people away from science. They, they actually want to have this ivory tower where they can mm -hmm. feel superior to the populations, right? Like yeah. talk about popular science writers, how that used to be regarded. Oh yeah. Anything popular, any, anything in the realm of popular writing in academia was kind of poo-pooed as, oh, it's just mere journalism. You know, it's, it's something that you're, you're selling out to either the masses or corporate interests or, or something else in the, the purity of academia. Uh, that's, that's for sure huge. Right. Yeah. The, the third version of doublespeak is called gobbledygook or also bureaucraties. It's kind of very similar to the euphemism, but this is more sterile language. It's not meant to sound more attractive. It's meant to sound very sterile and more impressive than it is a lot of the time. Wow. And it's it's very similar to another concept called the gish galop or gish gallop. I, I never really knew how to say that. I've only ever seen it written down. But they're, they're both kind of forms of argument or explanation where you don't actually want the opponents to understand what you're talking about. So if somebody is in front of Congress and they're forced to talk about something they did wrong, they would try to get out of it by saying a bunch of different explanations that don't really make sense and aren't clear. And if you actually got them to whittle it down to actually be like concise, it would be ridiculous. But you can't tell because they've just explained it in so many obscure words. The gish gallop, however, is when they try to overwhelm you with a series of arguments, regardless of how strong they are. They just keep going with more and more arguments. Okay. So I've heard the word gobbledygook. That, that is an actual definition for that? Uh, I don't know if this is the definition. It's just like the actual definition of gobbledygook is, I think, nonsense word, nonsense speak. Right, right. Okay. So I see how this applies now to the, the, the politician speak. It's uh, yes or no. Have you engaged in unethical acts with so-and-so. And the politician will say, the ethics commissioner has been perusing the documents regarding the ethics of so-and-so, and the people expect us to govern them in this way. And that's what we will do. And we will focus on this other thing. <laughs> right. If you want an actual real world example. Yeah. Going back to Bill Clinton with the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal, I, I guess you could probably say this is probably a form of gobbledygook. 
he tried to argue about what the definition of the word is, is. Ooh. So he said, <laughs> he's used it in a contraction, but he said, there's nothing going on between us. So there is nothing going on between us. And so then when he was pressed on that, he says, quote, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. If is means is and never has been, that is not, that is one thing. If it means there is none, there was a completely true statement. If it means that it is not currently happening as an is in the present, you would also be telling the truth. Right, exactly. That's, I think, the angle he's going for, but to end the quote. Wow. Quote, now if someone had asked me on that day, are you having any kind of sexual relations with Miss Lewinsky? That is, asked me a question in the present tense, I would have said no, and it would have been completely true. End quote. Because he's not currently. Because... As the person's asking that question, she would have to be currently doing that to him for him to say. Yeah. She would have to be doing something at that exact moment. Yes. Yeah. At that exact moment that the question's asked. Right. So that's, that's an example of that. Oh, wow. That is, that's crafty. Wow. It, he didn't really get, I mean, he got away with it sort of, but not really. I think he was still impeached, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And right. he stepped down. And again, that's, there's a, apparently a difference, which we've learned from this current president who has been impeached already. It does not necessarily mean a removal from office. No. So, and, and, and the current president was only impeached by the, the House, not the Senate. Right. He got shot down there. So uh, I don't, we're not, the, the problem with our current situation is that we're not constitutional lawyers and also we're not even American. So yeah, uh, yeah, we're expected to understand what these things mean and discuss them because they still affect us despite not living in that country. Yeah. I wonder how many Americans can talk uh, this eloquently about Canadian politics. None. Eloquently. Man, I can't even talk about Canadian politics this informed, I think, because it's it's not as yeah. I mean, in a good way, it's not as much of a show. It's not meant to be entertainment, which is kind of how we got yeah. to our current situation with the states. Anyway, moving on yeah. to the fourth definition of doublespeak. Yeah. It's not a one word one. This one It's more just inflated language. It's designed to make the simple seem complex or to give an air of importance to people, things or situations. So it's it's kind of also mixed in with I, it's probably closer to what I said when I was talking about the job, the sweeping the floor. Like you're, you're taking a bunch of words to inflate what he's doing. And Tony Soprano's example of waste management consultant, that's what he is kind of doing there. As well as a mix of euphemism, because I guess he could be saying that he's taking out the waste of society. I guess a cop could also call her job that. Right. <laughs> if yeah. they were crude enough, not saying, actually, that, that's pretty far. <laughs> I don't mean to say that like they, they are always right, of course, especially in the current context. <laughs> Oh, you better backpedal. Yeah, right I did. Now. I, I backpedal <laughs> on that one. That was that was speaking without thinking. Which also that is a point I wanted to address from the last one. Yeah. Um, you had thrown up something that I didn't want to bring up because it could be misconstrued, but I'm I'm going to keep it in because I think for the audience of this, I expect them to be able to interpret this with good faith. We will misspeak. This is a bit more informal, and it's just kind of us discussing ideas that are worth jumping off of and learning about. I'll, I'll do research for all the things we're talking about, but occasionally we will slip up because it is just a informal conversation. This is literally how our informal conversations regularly sound. We're not just putting on a, an act, I guess as two super geeks, we talk this way, just normal. Most of the time, the main difference I think is that it's a little bit hard to not be aware of somebody that is listening. Cause we have to try to be entertaining to some level, right? Yeah. Not just talking for the sake of talking. So as your parents like to describe us as. So what is the next concept? Okay, well, I'm not going to jump off just yet, but thank you for priming that. That video goes on to talk about how it's it's not, this is directly related to your expertise. It's not what you say, it's what they hear. That's the most important thing. So one example is gambling is a vice. Mm. Gaming is a choice. <laughs> gaming was a rebranding of gambling. Do you know much about this? Oh, oh, a hundred percent. This is something that uh, I've thought about actually working in a casino in a, in a problem gambling environment, problem gambling type of role where the word gaming is used to make it sound more socially acceptable. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing that I've yeah. thought about. The next example I had of that was estate tax versus death tax. So originally it was intended to stop, <laughs> right? Originally it was intended to stop old money, super wealthy families from ruling society as an elite, such as what happened in England for, for a long time and may still be happening now. So the U.S. had installed this, but the rich obviously didn't like that. So they decided to go from something that not everyone is familiar with, such as an estate. Some people may not know exactly what that means. Instead, it made it a concept that everyone understands. Everyone dies. Everyone knows what death is. And so they framed it as a punishment for simply dying. 
So I don't want to be punished for dying, but that's not <laughs> what it is. His intention is it doesn't affect most people yet. As I think it was put, America is a country full of people who have not yet become millionaires, but they all assume they might be affected by these things that only affect the super wealthy. <laughs> no, I love that rebranding. The, the estate tax is being rebranded, the death tax. <laughs> yeah. The next concept, as you were asking about, is pearl clutching. Are you familiar with pearl clutching? That's the one I want to talk okay, about. Okay, go for it. I, <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is, but I like the name of it. And it reminds me of the, you know, the old clutch my pearls type of, uh, kind of the old South morality associated with femininity as, as this purity and, and just this, oh, this vulgar thing. That's the image that comes to mind. I guess you're talking about the image of the Southern kind of woman. So what kind of, what kind of woman would be, would be wearing these? Because obviously men don't tend to wear pearls. So what, what kind? of woman what status or demographic um i'm getting a, a upper class type of picture a politician's wife potentially often probably probably a conservative yeah more likely right right it's embodied by the the woman on the simpsons who always yells will somebody think of the children yes <laughs> won't somebody think of the children yes it's, quote, being shocked by something once salacious that should now be seen as commonplace, like sex. And it's ubiquitous on blog posts, especially in media geared towards women. That last part is added by a Slate article on how it's becoming a feminist cliche. It's becoming a sort of witch hunt. All of these, by the way, it's it's difficult. If you're not able to interact with the person and actually get them to clarify their point, it can be hard to tell whether it's true or not. And you end up with witch hunts of people saying, oh, she's just pearl clutching. Like maybe somebody's holding a true belief a sincerely held belief, as they're called, about how moral decay is affecting children because people are having sex in the streets. Like if if that's literally happening, then it's it's fair to criticize it. Right. And people at that time in these forums, apparently it's becoming this thing where if you were to express that 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 kind of alteration to the social fabric, mm. if you were to say that that is a bad thing, then they would say that you're pearl clutching. You're just you're not actually feminist enough. Oh, so pearl clutching is a bad thing. Yes. Often it's seen as something that is just it's being used to cater to people who would be like that woman. Will somebody think of the children? Yes. Don't be that person in a sense. This is what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They're catering to them, yet they don't necessarily believe it. They're just trying to use it as a kind of high road argument, high horse argument to look down on others and kind of shut down a thing they don't like, even though it might be perfectly fine. Like sex out of marriage, for instance, it doesn't affect them at all or gay people existing and dating. It doesn't affect their lives at all. And then the pearl clutching, I guess, would be how am I going to explain that to my children? Dude, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect them. And if they ask, just they love each other. And that's that. Like, just leave it. The Slate article Quote, people, particularly women, lob the charge at one another to accuse them of not being liberal or feminist or open-minded enough. Not infrequently, it prompts tedious semantic debates about whether someone is pro-clutching or a legitimate concern. End quote. Nice. That's a pretty clear definition. Yeah. Good. good. I tried to streamline these things a bit more than last time. Hopefully it comes out in the end result. The definition is received. Good. Okay, so I'm going to talk about some, I guess, Poe's Law. I guess I still have some extra things to say about that. But all of these things kind of mix together where it's unclear about the actual intended meaning. It kind of has a breakdown in good faith discussions, right? Because this weird event happened online where I was talking about uh, suicide. We were talking about how the suicide rate for men is much higher. Mm -hmm. And one explanation for that, that I explained was that some research shows that men tend to take more violent routes. They tend to shoot themselves. Yeah. And if you shoot yourself, you tend to die much faster. It's much harder to save you. Yeah. And so there's no, there's no going back. Whereas women are more likely to do something like slit their wrists. Yeah, man, we should definitely do like a, probably <laughs> a content warning at the beginning of this post. So they're more likely to, to do slower routes, like take pills. And with pills, it takes hours and hours to actually die, giving a, a larger window of opportunity for somebody to discover and help the person mm. stop them. And so somehow after just explaining that, I'm not taking any moral value on that. Like they're both things that need to be addressed, of course. But they took that and thought that I was saying that who cares that men are more successful or that I thought that men were better. I don't know exactly. It didn't have anything to do with what I said, more to do with what they were thinking, I guess. And I said, that's not what I meant. And they told me I was wrong. <laughs> they told me I was wrong about my intentions. <laughs> oh, 
So in order, in, in, instead of being able to clarify what you actually meant, it was kind of an attempt to shut you down and just say, you're wrong no matter what. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you that that is not the correct interpretation of what I meant. Maybe I misspoke. Maybe I wasn't clear enough. Although in that case, I definitely was. But give me an opportunity to try to rehash this. And I guess you could just ignore these things. But I, I tend to try to have a civil discussion with people online as maybe a model for other people to see. Like I try to model and my behavior on what I hope others would do. That whole trite quote, be the change you want to see in the world. And I also find with internet discussions in particular, I'm doing it for the audience. I don't want somebody to walk away and think that this person's behavior is appropriate or the way it should be. And that we can still have civil discussions if we try. Okay. But I mean, maybe that's all lost cause. No, I like that, uh, the value in that. And I think the, the reason why we're looking at these language tricks is for that purpose and in being able to better identify when someone is using something like this or when we ourselves are falling into these types of language games. So I think this is useful. Good. Hopefully people agree with that. Some people regard these approaches. I guess you could say this is more embracing irony because Rick and Morty, for example, I don't think you've watched the show. I've seen it. But Rick and Morty. Oh, you have? Oh, surprise. So it's deeply ironic and irreverent and nihilistic in its core, which is actually where some people believe that Poe's law and these kinds of doublespeak and media manipulation, public opinion manipulation can lead us to where everything is a joke and nothing actually matters. Mm -hmm. So just say whatever you want. Like the whole PewDiePie kind of took that defense because he was just saying, oh, it's just a joke. And people were were saying that obviously it seemed like it could be a dangerous joke to be making continually given recent centuries. Mm Rick and Morty is a good example of nihilism. I think that's kind of how I was kind of segueing to that. It's just a a side tangent. I I had this struggle myself where if you zoom out far enough, nothing does matter, right? Like if you go with Rick's perspective, he has unlimited dimensions and it can go literally anywhere in space, any given moment. If people die, he can go to another dimension and find that same person that's still alive with all the same memories. So for him, like nothing does matter. There is no reason to anything. Yeah. And so what's the answer here is, is, are we ending off on nihilism as a, as a virtue or is it something to be fought against? No, we're not ending yet. And it's not the answer. The, the answer I think is to zoom in more. That's what I had to do because earlier in life I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I think I wanted to make a difference, a positive difference in some respect, but it was hard to define because if you look at the entire world, even if we destroy the entire earth, let's say the universe won't necessarily even notice. It'll be a blip, nothing really. Carl Sagan's pale blue dot is just this one dot that is is now no longer there. However, to all of us on the planet, it it matters tremendously. And so I think zooming in on practical things like Mm, little acts of kindness and actually relating with people and being genuine what comes along with that irony and embracement of irony is that they kind of see sincerity as this uncool, undesirable thing that they kind of sneer at and mock. But that that often is just a defense mechanism because these people are afraid of being rejected themselves, right? So instead, they reject other people continually. Okay, yeah, no, I see that. So nihilism as almost an insecurity. It's like, I, I'm not feeling secure enough to own my beliefs. Therefore, I will use all of these language tricks and pose law or whatever it may be to hide what I'm actually saying. And it's really hiding under the language, as you said before. And in that insecurity, nothing matters. Uh, and there's no kind of uh, nobility or desire to genuinely connect with someone. It's just a a bunch of games of words and lightly tossing around this or that phrase, closing people down and and not being open to discussion. Right. And I think kind of similar to the popularity of the Big Bang Theory, in my opinion, it's mocking intelligent people in a way that doesn't require any real thought. by the audience. So you can feel superior to people without ever having to do anything by being ironic and condescending. Like somebody who is a judge or a critic can feel good about themselves without ever putting themselves out there, just panning anything that comes along. And what do you, what's the connection to the Big Bang Theory? Oh, Big Bang Theory is a show where they originally was supposed to be a comedy for smart people about nerd culture, Mm -hmm. but ended up being a mainstream comedy for general audiences, mocking nerd culture and often not even getting it right. Right. Got it. Yes. And how does that connect to the broader topic? 
the ability to condemn something without ever having to do any real effort or work on your own part. Being ironic and nihilistic all the time gives you this position of looking down on others without actually having a platform. You're basically floating, looking down at people, and you never actually contributed anything. You never put yourself out there. You never did any real work to take something down. You just basically said, that's bad, that's shitty, and then you laugh at it, and you feel good about yourself. And I think that's, I'm tying this back to the lack of sincerity and how we've moved more towards nihilism and and mockery and pose law, often not sincerely putting out our own beliefs because it's something that will just be derided. Yes, got it. Now, that was a perfect connection between all of those things. And I see the overarching theme and then how it connects. And it's almost a a social trend these days. And I I saw this wave coming around really when I was in grad school, it was, it was building significantly between like 2011 and 2015, where, you know, people were talking about hipster culture a lot back then. We don't really talk about hipsters so much in 2021, but it was a, it was a term that was really thrown around a lot back around 2015. And if to be part of this kind of cool hipster type culture, you couldn't really say anything sincere, but you would just kind of lightly hold the beliefs you were saying and even displays of emotion. uh, If you showed that you were like passionate and super into something, it was not seen as being cool. You'd have to kind of have a humor about everything and and laugh, laugh things off and not really be overly invested in in something. It seems very adolescent hearing you talk about it because that's being a teenager. Showing somebody that you you have a crush on them or mm-hmm. being too into something would make you try hard and, and mockable. I guess I, I'm wondering if it's if it's well probably universally in a sense adolescent, but I do wonder if if it is a, a social trend that happened or if it was just a particular uh, age that I was at. I don't know. I mean, there's that idea that like adolescence is continuing to extend into later years because we don't have kids as early and without getting economic stability as soon we are stuck in this kind of young adult stage, uh, adolescent, as some of them called it. I don't agree with that. I think I would say young adult as a separate stage, but it's extending because people are having a harder time getting started or settling down. So that might have something to do with it. And this was in my early 20s where I, I really took notice of this, this way of being and I, I do think there's something there with the hipster thing in terms of uh, the popularity of ironic mustaches and, uh, you know, that, that whole thing that happened. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with the lightness and performativity of all of this. It's the broader, what's it saying about our ability to actually be sincere? Can you do both? You know, if you, if you want the, the hipster mustache that resembles the, you know, the 18th century masculinity, but you're not doing it because you actually value 18th century masculinity. You're just, you're just doing it in kind of a lighthearted, ironic way. There's nothing necessarily wrong with doing it. Do what you want. And also, how far are you taking this nihilism of just being light about everything and not actually sincerely engaging with anything? Yeah. They're avoiding just the obvious, which is, I just like it. You don't have to necessarily be reliving all of the connotations of something in the past. You can just say that I like the look of that. Exactly. So it's not, there's no black and white here and we don't want to demonize the ironic mustache at all. No, go for it. But it's, it's part of a, a bigger trend. Um, there's a comedian that does a bit on this. There's more in, in speech and language these days there, everyone's saying like, such as, and there's all of this tentativeness and inability to speak with conviction. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess what you seem to be groping at. <laughs> groping at. Yeah, groping around for is how you're you're relating back to what I was saying about sarcasm as a defense mechanism. You don't, you're putting these curbing kind of things onto your speech so that you don't have to make a firm statement. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your appearance today, sir, versus that's hot. Well, you could say, I like, I like your outfit or you're looking really good today. You, instead of if, like to abstract even more, some people would find that outfit to be very appealing to their sensibilities. <laughs> Again, going back to like kind of double speak sort of communication where you're, uh, you're kind of muddying your intention so you can say something without actually saying it. Oh, saying something without actually saying it. That is huge with the, the, I'm the double speak of, Oh, uh, just joking. 
Like, oh, you look tired today. You look awful. <laughs> Just joking. Oh, what a good joke. You're a real <laughs> you could, clever person commenting on that. You look like shit today. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Just joking. Man. Why, why are you being so uptight? Just joking. Why are you being so uptight? No, this double speak is, is huge. We've, it's very useful and important to look at. And I, I think watching the video that I, I'm referencing from it is worthwhile, although I know most people won't. So I think I covered it well enough there. Another concept I was going to introduce that I, I honestly, at the moment, I can't, I can't see how it fully connects to what I was talking about, but it was um, Young Shadow and horseshoe theory. Are you familiar with Young Shadow? Is this two things? These are two separate things, horseshoe theory and Young's shadow. Okay. I just didn't want to have them conflated as, as, as one thing, but yeah. So Carl Jung's concept of the shadow. Yes. Uh, I'm very familiar with it kind of being the, the under the iceberg, under the water aspects of ourselves, unconscious, largely things that are the darker sides of ourselves, the stuff that we, we would rather not look at. It's the idea that, you know, if you're facing the sun, you're looking at the light, you're looking at only optimistic and, and good things mm-hmm. that you're completely neglecting what's behind you. And that's, that's the shadow, which then can easily get projected onto mm. other people. And we criticize them for things that we haven't yet explored in ourselves that are there. Right. Or put more succinctly, maybe this is a oversimplification, but the things we hate in others are the things we hate in ourselves. I love that phrase. It's quite accurate. I'm kind of tying this to horseshoe theory and the whole concept, I think, now that I'm thinking about it, in that it's going back to that whole witch hunt kind of thing. We Nobody's pure. And the thing is, we're leaning into satire and irony a lot more, which means that we're not actually exposing ourselves to our true intentions or our true feelings because we're hiding behind this facade of not caring, mm. of being too cool, I guess. Yeah. And in doing that, we actually might be enlarging our shadow and seeing enemies everywhere. And that's a problem. Horseshoe theory is the theory where the further you go into the extremes of politics. So if you go extreme left or extreme right, they both have completely different views, but their outcomes and their expectations and their actions start all kind of becoming similar. Like it's been said that the, the far left kind of mimics the far right and it's bullying, pushy, judgmental and puritanical tendencies. One example I have, which is a a joke video where it's talking about woke versus racist. So in the opening, they say, and they both say this at the exact same time, quote, your racial identity is the most important thing. Everything should be looked at through the lens of race. Jinx. And it spirals out from there on. Wow. I love how all of this connects. Like you, you introduce this last piece as not necessarily connecting, but it's huge. It connects very much. If you can't tell from listening, I kind of jump around and think sporadically from like node to node, and it might not always be obvious, which is why I appreciate you pulling it back and asking me how they connect. Well, as a theorist, conceptual clarity is my forte. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's a good counterpart. Good co-host, because he's not a guest. I'm not interviewing him. I don't know why people thought that was the case. Obviously not. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say obvious because some people didn't get it. Back to horseshoe theory, the, the analogy is from an iron is bent backwards and as it goes, the two extremes almost touch. So you see like the shape of a horseshoe at the middle, yep. it's bent until this, the sides almost are touching. They're very, very similar, but they are not quite there. Examples in real life would be, for instance, the far left, I, I don't come across them as much, the, the really, really far. I mean, I guess I see them online somewhat, but the people I'm actually interacting with are typically more far right. So the far left, some of the ones I've heard have said that right now in the time of COVID, we should reopen businesses because people need to exercise their immune system. By staying inside and washing our hands, our immune systems are just crumbling. We're just so fragile that we need to constantly exercise that. And so masks and closing down society is a bad idea. So that's their stance. The end result is open up, of course. Mm -hmm. Then the far right is saying that COVID is a conspiracy to control people. And it's actually just the the media chumping this thing up. That's actually not a thing. So we should open up. Yeah. The conclusion is the same, but they're insane in different ways. Right. Right. The conclusion is the same. It's just how they got there. Yeah. Which is different. Right. And this kind of relates to, again, I was going to mention the no true Scotsman fallacy, which is a common fallacy about purity. Wikipedia's succinct description is, quote, no true Scotsman or appeal to purity is an informal fallacy in which one attempts to protect a universal generalization from counterexamples by changing the definition in an after the fact fashion to exclude the counterexamples. 
If you're saying, for example, the thing I was talking about, feminists and pearl clutching, if one person says something that others find to be a little bit too conservative for their liking, they would say, but they're not a true feminist because they don't conform to whatever shifting goalpost that that particular speaker wants to define it as. Mm-hmm. Changing the definition mid-argument, invalidating the other person as even being worthy to speak. Right. Like, actually, we saw a real-life example of this was from the Capitol insurrection, whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. The guy who was wearing, uh, he was like a Viking. He was wearing a Viking hat. Yeah. He, he apparently hasn't been eating in prison. This is a headline. I didn't read too deeply in this, but he apparently was refusing to eat because the, the food they were giving him in a prison wasn't organic. And because of that, they said he was actually a, a sleeper cell Antifa person, which is in the future, I guess, anti-fascist group, Antifa sleeper cell. And so they actually wanted to toss him under the bus. He was with this group, but now because he has this one impure thing, according to that group, he is now the enemy. And so the no true Scotsman fallacy or no true Trumper fallacy kicked in at that time. Yeah. You're not one of us. You are with the granola crunching vegan left. Right. So just because he doesn't, he can't have his organic food. Therefore, he can't be in the in in the right. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, but the thing is, you and I, more so probably me, are kind of running that risk as well here in this conversation because this concept I've been talking about recently, I'm, I'm calling it wrestling with ghosts. Hmm which is you think somebody's saying something even though they didn't say it. So I kind of did that a little bit with the pickup thing last podcast episode. The, the risk we're running right now is that we will be seen as impure right. because we are constantly talking about things from a more moderate perspective. Yes. I, I like I have some firm stances, but I think that the left is right on certain things and the right is right on certain things. Yes. And by saying to an audience, oh, this point to the right is correct, they will automatically see you as possibly being too impure for, the, for their stance and they'll demonize you and say that you're an alt-right, which has happened a lot. Got it. Yes. But if you say something that is more left-leaning, like, I don't know, organic food is, is probably better for you than, than non-organic food, mm-hmm. then the right would see you as some sort of snowflake. And that's because they're basically cults at that point. They they see you as impure. And if you say something in the middle, then that's that's it. And again, this, this whole podcast is, I'm going to keep referencing it, I guess, breaking the fourth wall. I think it's important that we have these discussions. Sometimes the one side has it more right and the other side sometimes has it the more right as well. And you shouldn't just stick with the side purely because that's what your side says. This is a really nice little manifesto episode in a sense. The first one, we talked a lot more about our biographical backgrounds, which I think is nice. And this one, I think, adds to the the spirit of what we're doing and the, the virtues of it, the code of ethics or, or manifesto or however you want to define it. It really is, is the whole purpose of, of the, the discussions, which is to paint reality in a more complex way and to hold up the value of being open and having civil dialogue that's well-intentioned and that we don't necessarily have to have a discussion for the purpose of being right, but to actually find genuine truth. And, and, and truth is messy. It's not all on one side or the other side. And I think these definitions really come to a place of, of where we want to take all of our conversations. Right. And that's why I chose Pose Law as our second one. If you notice, I'm trying to plan out the concepts so it actually makes sense to continue forward with the podcast. It's unfortunate that our last episode was a little bit, a bit more squidgy. This one I think is also kind of a bit all over the place, but we're getting better. But I like that you're talking about truth because the last thing I wanted to talk about was troll farms and what they call the post-truth society. I don't like the whole post-truth society thing because at what point did we reach optimal enlightenment Mm. (laughs) where everyone knew the truth? There's always been propaganda and smokes and mirrors and ways to control the masses. So I don't think that that's even an accurate term, but I think troll farms, are you familiar with troll farms? Not particularly. Okay, so troll farms are a concept that's apparently, and fact check me on this, please, apparently is a a thing that's happening in particular countries like Russia, for example, where apparently they have buildings of essentially media companies. Oh, yes. Yeah, their entire purpose is to put out misleading or propagandistic ideas that they're trying to infiltrate the English internet with ideas that are more favorable to whatever their ends are. Who knows what, what those may be, but they apparently have large budgets and their best English speakers working on these things. The reason I'm bringing them up is because when it comes to Poe's law and these purity things, 
they amp that up. They raise the temperature in a number of ways where they will start throwing those kinds of accusations. And I think it's best, even if we assume everyone is genuine, if somebody starts throwing accusations of somebody being ingenuine, I think we need to challenge the accusation and let the person try to explain somewhat. That's kind of a slippery slope because like, let's, let's imagine we gave Trump an explanation, a time to explain right now. He is so slippery that he might just continue obfuscating. I guess you would actually need to have a discussion where you'd say, what do you mean by that? Can you clarify this? Press them to actually do it. I think that's where he fails. That's actually my takeaway from this whole discussion from Troll Farms and Milo Yiannopoulos and Trump and other organized crime like bosses. The nihilism has real effects on the world. And the reason I wanted to wander around between these bad faith forms of speech is because it's actually really warping and dementing our life right now, right? The, the takeaway, I think the only solution is in that situation, like that person when we were talking about uh, suicide, mm, if huge. he had let me explain, I could have probably brought him around. But if the person either doesn't want an explanation or the other person won't give an explanation or says, if you don't get it, then you're never going to get it, then we can pretty fairly assume it's a bad faith tactic and that they're actually a coward hiding behind ambiguity. That was my takeaway from this. That's, yeah, no, that's perfect. Perfect. I think you tied it all up in a nice ribbon and shipped it off. And in the middle, I was wondering, okay, there's all these concepts. How do they connect? And I think that's the, that's the common thread in all of this uh, discussion and future discussions as well, where we may take a position on something like organic food and how we value organic food. And that doesn't necessarily mean we take everything from far left ideology. Or if we say something maybe positive about traditional values or religion, for example, I, I don't really have a statement around that right now. But if we were to say something that's positive around this, it'd be very specific about it, that we're not immediately conservative. Oh, I think both of us are very moderate politically. And uh, our goal here is to shed light on reality and truth to the best of our ability and to have good faith. And I think the opposite of good faith is the language tactics uh, that we're talking about. And a lot of this nihilism and post-truth era talk and the heated rhetoric that's getting amplified day by day right now. And I really am optimistic that it's just going to go down, but we'll see what happens. You're optimistic that it's going down. You want it to. I'm optimistic that it's, I'm optimistic that we will be less heated by the summer, let's just say. Oof, I don't know about that, man. The, the, I'm not as optimistic as you. We, we need to reshape things and address certain things, rein in foreign influences that are bad actors trying to, to screw with us. And that requires us to rein in the tech companies. And the problem I see there is that we have a bunch of older people that don't understand tech making legislation, yeah. or we have people who are former head people in the tech industry. They aren't going to take it to task. Mm -hmm. I forget his name. The guy who he used to be one of the top people in Verizon is now one of the top tech people in the U.S. government. It needs to be fixed. So like, I would say we're both moderate and I think that's important to mention because like moderates are often described as being kind of limp-wristed and having no stance. And I don't think that that's the case. <laughs> no, if anything, we have a more clarified, nuanced stance that's way more complicated than an extreme stance would be. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to put all these things in the show notes. Thank you for listening if you listened and we appreciate you showing up and returning from the last episode. All right. Thanks a lot. And we look forward to having more nuanced discussions and keeping them in good faith. The Socially Adept Podcast. That would not be us. Well... <laughs> Apparently I'm socially Especially adept. That podcast. Yeah, that's, that's totally us. Apparently I'm a, a real boy. I'm a real person now. So <laughs> no, 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 we didn't agree to that. We said that you were almost a real boy. Well, nobody's noticing yet. So I'm, I'm passing.